Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Linux After Dark. I'm Joe. I'm Chris. I'm Gary. And I'm Dalton. Welcome back, chaps. It's the first show of 2022, even though it's actually 2021 when we're recording this, but let's... Uh, Don't tell them the secrets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's, uh, let's pretend that it's 2022. So, instead of doing predictions, I thought we could talk about things that we want to see happen in the Linux and open source world over the next year. So, who wants to go first? Gary, you can go first. Sure. So what I'd really like to see in 2022 is Asahi Linux be in a place where it is bootable from an installer and can run either a basic Linux desktop or is suitable for headless tasks. I would also love to see this. I've been waiting with my M1 MacBook Air for this installer. And I, I read the documentation and it is possible to get it installed now, but I know that they will make it much easier. So yeah, I can't wait for this to happen. But I am a little bit worried that it might drag on a little bit, especially when we get the next M2 MacBook Air and just constant new machines. Yeah, I've had a similar set of concerns. Like I was hoping for there to be an installer this year. So I guess a peek behind the curtain is that I've got an M1 Mac Mini. It's the base spec, but I've upgraded to 16 gigs of RAM that's sitting downstairs. It's currently under my TV, but it's poised to replace my home server, which is an ancient Celeron machine that is desperate for an upgrade. The Mac Mini would be a perfect machine for that. It's low power draw. It's small. I can stick it in a cupboard. And yeah, like you, Joe, I have this concern that with every new version of the M1 chip or M2 or M3 or whatever it is that we get in 2022 gets released, I'm worried that the team are going to get distracted and we're not going to see something that's flash it to a USB drive, get it installed. Yeah, it's really hard, isn't it, to find a balance when you've got something with a roughly six monthly, six to nine monthly cycle of new hardware to be disciplined and think, do we stick on this generation and finish? It's always tempting to be like, oh, wow, this one's even more powerful. But I, I'd like to see that. I don't even own any M1 hardware. I would like to at some point. And that would really, if the prices drop and that is a real possibility, it would excite me too. Yeah. And I'm not even that bothered if it gets released as you know an installer in its current state. I have no real requirement for you know on a home server for graphical acceleration most of the time it's going to sit running headless and i just need to ssh into it and run docker and a couple of other things say so it's not that it would be unusable for me in its current state i just i'd like to see something that i can just install and use do you really want your home server to rely on usb storage though i've got 256 gigs of storage in the mac mini and that would be enough for what I'd need to run locally on the machine. So I'm thinking things like Nextcloud with a small amount of storage because my use case for Nextcloud is effectively sharing files with people and backing up photos from my phone. So that's not a huge amount of storage and I archive that off fairly regularly. And the other stuff is just containerized applications with relatively small storage needs. I'm not running Plex or Jellyfin or anything. Ah, right. And all of the large storage that I've got is on a Synology box. Say that kind of deals with that aspect. Say really all I need is decent amount of compute and a decent amount of memory and relatively low power consumption. I mean, I'm running it on a Celeron NUC at the moment for you know a sake of comparison. Say the M1 is yeah streets ahead of that all right dalton what do you hope happens i hope that we can get projects working together a little bit more when it comes to things taking features from other things 
It's very common to get I told you so, followed by years of just pain and anguish when a project says, oh, that looks like a good idea, and, you know, yoinks a feature. What I think about, for example, is people who worked on the Snap Store seeing Flathub grow to be this central Flatpak repository. I hope that doesn't cause a lot of consternation in the community, because obviously the Flathub community saw that, well, the central store is a good idea. Why don't we bring that to Flatpak? And now we have the best of both worlds in Flatpak. I hope that doesn't cause a lot of problems long term. Yeah, that's an interesting one. When we were doing the Silverboot trial, I, I remember going to install Flatpaks and having three sources, sometimes in Kinoi, KDE apps, Fedora's repository, and Flathub. And I didn't like that. And a lot of people criticize the Snap Store because it's one place. And whilst you can run an open source implementation, nobody is. And the main one is behind Canonical. But I think the mobile ecosystem proves to me that it is good to have something centralized that people know they're going to, to install apps. And you can then do stuff like the Snap Store has with a green tick that you know that that is connected to the developer of that application or the, the publisher or the company, if it's Spotify or whatever. Me personally, I like that idea of having a single one. So if Flathub gravitates towards that, I think that's a positive. Well, that's only one example, right? I also think about like if GNOME removes a feature and then puts it back later, it can cause people for years to say, well, they didn't have that and then they added it. So therefore, team is bad. And it's like they reversed their decision. They thought that something else was a better idea. Let's just let that happen and be happy that it happened and move on. Isn't one of the whole ideas of open source sharing ideas? I would certainly hope so. And I hope we see more of that in the next year. All right, Chris, what have you got for us? I would like to uh, see the Steam Deck be a success. And by success, I don't mean sell as many physical hardware units as the Nintendo Switch or something absurd like that, but for it to do solid, continuous sales figures and for it to gain some momentum in the way that the Steam boxes didn't quite. Because so far, it seems to me that it's contributing positive effects into the upstream. So you're getting things like Proton finally getting ways to support anti-cheat if the game developers choose to. Just generally that stack being contributed to, even though the Steam Deck is like bespoke hardware, the idea that it's just a device that is adopted by enough people that it gets a momentum pushing into, you know, Plasma because they've chosen that and into Proton and just generally gaming. Because I think whether or not you're a gamer on Linux or not, I do think that's an area that historically, and it's much better now, but historically has been like something where it's broken down quite badly. And the strides that have been made with stuff like Lutris and stuff like that, I'd like to see that continue in the Steam Deck be the bridge to that period. The only thing I slightly worry about is when people actually get them next year, how many people end up installing Windows on them? And that negates that. But I hope that much like flashing custom ROMs on a phone, there'll be a significant number of people that have bought them that won't be interested in modifying the operating system. But maybe I'm wrong because it is more of a niche product than a phone you buy in Curry's or whatever. Mm. Well, I'm in the first batch, and I'm pretty excited to just use it as the Steam Deck. So 
More on that later. Really, though? Yes. You're really not going to mess around with the operating system on there just because you can? At some point, I may, but at the same time, I'm kind of getting to a point where I just want things to work most of the time. Right. But you are a Linux user, whereas I'm sure there are plenty of Windows users who will just want to use Windows on it. But I think that Valve has to do the work, don't they? They can't sell a product with an operating system that doesn't play the games properly. So I think that uh, this is going to happen. I mean, we've already seen it happen to some extent. And I think that once it comes out and people start saying, well, hang on, this game doesn't work because of this anti-cheat thing or whatever, there's going to be more pressure on Valve who will then lean on the game developers. So I think that it will definitely happen, this, to a large extent at least. Because the thing is, the Steam Deck is just a PC, isn't it? That's what Valve keeps saying, that... Yes, you probably shouldn't open it up and change the SSD, but you can if you want. And you should probably use the operating system that it comes with, but you have complete control over it. And with it being just a PC, it means that the rest of us with other PCs should be able to benefit. Yeah, that's my hope. I think that Valve need to obviously do the enablement work because if not, you're going to end up with people taking this device out of the box and there's not going to be people like me and you who already know what to expect in terms of games that run on Linux, but it's going to be people who are just your kind of average gamer are going to take it out of the box, realize half their games don't work on it, and either put it in a drawer or install Windows on it. So my hope is that Valve do the work to enable a lot of those anti-cheat subsystems and get them working properly with Proton, because there is a real net benefit for all of us if that happens yeah because as i say some of the things that gamers will want will trickle into things like you know a compositor getting improvements or the wayland session getting improvements things like that that just benefit everyone who's using a linux desktop if they touch on that particular thing so that's why i'm so hopeful because i'm not a huge gamer these days i might pick up a steam deck a bit later on if they become widely available and drop in price slightly but it's nice to see the initial burst of activity because anti-cheat has for ages been a real problem and it seems so quickly that they have managed to integrate that so long may it continue how about this for a wild hope we wait at least two or three days after the first steam decks arrive in people's hands before we get a youtube video with instructions on how to install windows on it (laughs) nope (laughs) i think it'll be much sooner than that yeah, straight away, all of the big YouTubers will, will be taking it apart and installing Windows on it, I think. But, you know, I, they're doing it a bit better this time, I think. I think Linux Gaming starts in a stronger position than when they launched the Steam boxes, which did look quite sleek, but the, the hardware on those was fairly underpowered and the price was quite high. So you would look at it and go, well, it looks quite sleek, but for the same money, I could buy something that has more upgradability. And also SteamOS was not the same proposition. It wasn't immutable. It was based on Debian. It was just, there was too many flags really. But this time around, I think there's a lot more elements that have fallen into place in a way that I think it has a really good fighting chance compared to that. But yeah, we'll see. I think it really does come down to what you've said, Valve have to do the work. If there's a significant number of games and the answer is, well, it just works on Windows, then that's a real problem. So that's the real challenge to overcome. Yeah, I agree. I think the first time that someone tries to run a game on it and it doesn't work, they're just going to install Windows and not look back. Yeah, but Valve know that. And so 
they're going to have to do the work. Yeah, if they want people to continue using SteamOS on it, for sure. Okay, my one is related to something I predicted on Late Night Linux. I want to be wrong, basically. I had predicted that GNOME's downstream would get together and make their own new desktop environment, probably using the Enlightenment Foundation libraries. I want to be wrong about that. I want to see harmony with GNOME and their downstreams. I want the problems to be resolved, and I want everyone to go forth happily and work together and and make GNOME amazing for everyone using it, whether that is Fedora and totally vanilla or Pop! OS and uh, Ubuntu and, and other downstream distros. Yeah, I'd, uh, I'd like to see that as well. As we know, I, I, I didn't particularly get on with GNOME, but that's not to say that there's an enormous pool of resources, talent, potential, and I would like to see kind of hands across the sea a bit more and an appreciation that it is beneficial to be a slightly more open, if possible. I think it's just a slight shift in attitude, potentially, but we'll see, I guess. Yeah, I mean, having recently started using GNOME on my work machine, it is very solid and it is quite usable, but it's that lack of openness, I think, and that attitude of it's our way or the highway that seems to really drive the problems with the community. So yeah, I think I agree with you, Jay. If there was a little bit more openness and a little bit more willingness to allow people to develop plugins in a way that was stable and worked properly across releases or take feature requests that might not be what the GNOME developers want, but might actually be what their users want, we, I think they would be in a lot better place. Or if we can all dig deeper than the surface level and actually figure out what people really want rather than what they say what they want. Well, that's the perpetual problem for the software developer, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. I think the problem is that as Linux users, we've got a huge variety of choice and we all have our desktop set up exactly the way we want. Joe, yours might just be a black wallpaper. Mine's something a little bit different to that. And I'm sure Chris and Dalton, your desktops are set up differently to that. So I don't think there is any one way to please everybody, but I certainly don't think that the desktop environment that most of the major distros have adopted as default, having this real lack of flexibility helps anyone. It's funny, I've been using Ubuntu for a few days and I do get it now a bit more than I did before. I get the GNOME thing, but I've also used straight up GNOME and it makes you appreciate just how much work the Ubuntu desktop team have put into it to make it more, well, usable, I suppose. Yeah, that's the thing that's really struck me. Obviously, I was not particularly happy with GNOME in its stock form in our Silver Blue Challenge, but having used Ubuntu 2004 on my work machine for a few days now, there really is a lot of work that Canonical have put in to make GNOME something that's actually really nice and really usable say, if some of that work could be upstreamed and accepted upstream, then I'd be all for it. Yeah, let's not forget, like, we don't have the numbers, we're not privileged to see them, but people using stock Ubuntu in, like, corporate deployments, there's an enormous number of people. And yeah, a lot of them will be users that are told they they use it and they don't have to think about or contribute back what they'd like to see changed. But there will be enough of them as well that, the choices that Canonical make reflect those numbers of people using it. And again, it feels like a valuable resource to have that number of people using a 
desktop environment. And so the choices they make have to come from an appreciation of their customer base to a certain degree. So if that could be looped back through, I, as I say, I don't have the numbers, but I don't think there's many other versions of Linux with a desktop environment as desktop Linux that have that many actual daily users. Yeah. I mean, I am now one of those users, right? Say it's Ubuntu 20.04 with GNOME and that's what's on my work machine. And I probably could go and install XFCE or KDE or something on there, but that's really hacking around it. And I'm going out of the realms of what corporate IT are going to support if I do that. Say, by and large, I'm stuck using what Canonical have given out. And yeah, they, they have a vested interest in making it usable and putting out a DE that is what users want and is what ultimately their paying customers want. If only I didn't have to resort to drop into the command line to extract files from a zip file. <laughs> Maybe I'm just thick, but uh, it just doesn't work the way I want it to. But anyway, we'd probably better get out of here then. Do send in your own hopes for 2022 to show at linuxafterdark.net. And also thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. You make this all possible. linuxafterdark.net slash support for details there. So we'll be back in a couple of weeks then. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Chris. I'm still Gary. Happy New Year. <laughs> See you later. Bye.